Good morning. It's good to be back with you after a little bit of an Easter break away from the book of Acts. We're going to be into, back into Acts chapter 18, um, back into this origin story of the Christian church. I wonder if you've ever asked that question. This question we've been asking, what was it like at the very beginning, just after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back into heaven? What was it like to follow Jesus, to be a part of that early community, that early family of people who trusted him with their lives and walked with him? What was that like? Well, that's what we've been looking at in the book of Acts. Chapter 18 is where we've got to now. Um, we've been uh, meeting Paul, the Apostle Paul, and today we get to meet some of his best friends. I wonder if you have ever remembered, thought back to before you knew your best friend and tried to imagine what life would be like if you'd never met them. Or do you remember what it was like when maybe you met them in school, before you sat down at that desk or in, uh, in your workplace and you saw that stranger across the room or maybe you bumped into them on a bus or in a sports club or something something like that. But do you remember seeing your best friend as a stranger and not really expecting, never imagining that your wives, your lives from that moment forward would be knitted together? Maybe that person sitting next to you right now. Uh, maybe it's somebody you haven't seen in a long while. Maybe it's somebody who's died and you really, really miss them. Do you remember what life was like without your best friend? Well, in this story today, we're going to meet some of Paul's best friends. We're going to see how God often does bring people into our lives unexpectedly to do good for us and to help us along the way. So we're going to meet Paul. We've met him already. And then his best friends, um, Priscilla and Aquila, a couple who were really significant in his life. And then a guy later on called Apollos, who was a big part of Paul's and the church's story as well. So let's read Acts chapter 18. And as we're reading this, a couple of things to look out for. First is look out for the gardener's hand. Look out for how God's hand is in the background, moving things around, sometimes painfully, moving things around so that they grow. So look out for the gardener's hand. Look out for the shepherd's voice, for how God speaks in different ways, sometimes to encourage, sometimes to call people to himself, sometimes to make things grow, sometimes to lead. Listen out for the shepherd's voice and then ask yourself the question, who's really in charge? There's lots of quite important, powerful people mentioned in this story, as there is through the book of Acts a lot. Um, but who's really in charge? Where does the authority lie in this story? Okay, let me read you Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pause there for a moment. So what's Corinth like? We're moving from Athens, which is like the academic capital of Greece. It's like the Oxford or the Cambridge. And we're moving over to Corinth, which is the party capital of Greece. This is, the, this is a really wealthy city. It was a place that was founded by Julius Caesar himself about 100 years before this story. A place dripping with wealth, full of merchants and people coming and going. It's like a a hub of the empire with all sorts of people there, all the beautiful Instagram people, all the athletes, all the fancy people who can speak Latin, who have their links in Rome, and it's a really Roman city. It's a new place. They called it New Corinth. You can imagine kind of a New York, or if Athens is Oxford or Cambridge, then this is Liverpool or Manchester or some kind of cultural capital of the world. It's a scary place to be. You can imagine Paul turning up there as a Jewish man with this message that he's bringing about um, a man who was crucified. 
and trying to persuade people to follow that man, to follow him into poverty and into suffering as he walked in poverty and suffering, to follow Jesus and coming into a city that's full of wealth, that's full of pride, that's full of beautiful, healthy, happy people enjoying pleasure in all sorts of different ways. It's a pretty intimidating job. In fact, you don't need to imagine that. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth a few years later, and he says, right, at the beginning of that letter, remembering back to what it was like, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. He was intimidated by coming to Corinth. It was not an easy place to go, but it wasn't just him. There are plenty of other new faces, plenty of other people who'd been through some hard times recently, who probably turned up in Corinth pretty intimidated and pretty scared. Two of those people were Priscilla and Aquila, Jewish people who'd settled in Rome, probably become Christians in Rome. There was a church there. It wasn't Paul only who was going around telling people about Jesus, but the gospel seems to have reached Rome. Priscilla and Aquila, Jewish by background, but now they've become Christians. They get kicked out of Rome. If you're into history, you could go and look up Suetonius. He's one of the Roman historians, writes about um, this era, Claudius's era, when he exiled, kicked out all of the Jews from Rome because they kept making trouble. It sounds like they were making trouble because of arguments between Christians and Jews, people who used to be Jews and people who'd now become Christians and people who remain Jews and they were fighting each other and causing trouble in Rome and arguing a lot. And so Claudius said, right, all of you, the lot of you get out of here. And so kick them out of Rome. And that would have been hard, wouldn't it? For Priscilla and Aquila, place they'd called home. I don't know if they had children, um, children who were in school, children who had kids and other friends that they played with on the street corners, uh, social clubs and places that they went to, certainly synagogues and workplaces and things that they did. And now their life is uprooted and they are taken away to Corinth, a hard place to go and live as a Christian. And Corinth was a place that had a real reputation, not just for wealth and glitz and glamour, but for real immorality as well. To be a Corinthian, was to be somebody who was really into sexual immorality. To do as the Corinthians do was to go and be with a prostitute. It's a place where they had up on the hill behind Corinth, a great temple to Venus, the goddess of love, and thousands of prostitutes who would roam the streets at night. It was the kind of place that would be really difficult, intimidating, oppressive to live in as somebody who wanted to stay pure, as somebody who didn't want to go in that way. It's a hard place for Paul to go, a hard place for Priscilla and Aquila to go, but there they meet, perhaps in the market, perhaps down in the tent maker's quarter. Paul arrives and he doesn't want to burden people by asking for money from this little church that's being planted. And so he goes to work with his hands and becomes, well, because what he is, a tent maker. And that's kind of crept into our language as Christians. If somebody's doing tent making ministry, then what they're doing is sharing the good news of Jesus as far as they, they can but supporting themselves as they do it. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's out on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, in the synagogues, teaching about Jesus, trying to persuade people to come and trust in him. And the rest of the time, he's making tents. Be useful to pause there maybe and just ask the significance of that. Why was Paul a tent maker? Well, he came from priestly background, priestly stock, um, or at least rabbinical stock, teaching stock. And they were always trained, rabbis, teachers in Judaism, always trained to have a trade. And his was tent making. Why would that be? Maybe because his uh, background or some people that he knew were part of making the tabernacle um, back in their history. Maybe that was why rabbis and people in, in the Jewish world who 
really cared about about following God's ways were interested in making tents, perhaps because it links them back to the making of the tabernacle, which is the first temple where God brought his presence in amongst the Israelites and where the people were brought into God's presence by the priests. And what's Paul doing? Not just making literal tents with his hands, sewing leather together, but he's building the tent of the church, isn't he? That's his job. He's a tent maker spiritually and he's a tent maker physically. His Monday to Friday is making tents and his Saturday and Sunday is making the tent of the church, building the place where people meet with God and God meet with people, sharing the good news of Jesus. That's what the church is. It's a tent where God comes close to us and we come close to him. I'm not talking about the building now. I'm talking about the people of the church. And that's what Paul is building. And that's soon what Priscilla and Aquila get busy building with him too. So they're working hard. Um, By the way, I just wanted to say, especially if you've been a member of a church here in Ammonford, especially if you're somebody who gives to the church, I just wanted to say a big thank you um, that uh, that your gifts and your contributions to church life mean that I don't have to do tent making work. I mean that I can be full time studying and encouraging and meeting and teaching and training and thinking and praying about um, God's church here in Ammonford. It's a real blessing to not have to do tent making work as well as ministry work. And maybe another thing to say, just to encourage you, especially if you're somebody who lives here in Ammonford, is to think about whether you might be able to do a little bit of Paul-style tent-making work too. You see that he works a little time to earn his keep, and then the rest of his time he spends doing ministry stuff. Sometimes we are, we think of the professional Christians, of the people in the ministry, or the pastors as the ones who do the ministry, the work in the church, kind of spiritual work praying and teaching and evangelism and stuff like that. And the rest of us are just here to earn money to make that happen. So, you know, we're the workers over here and they're the ministers over there. Sometimes people even call me the minister, a minister. But if you look at what Paul's doing, if you look at what Aquila and Priscilla carry on doing, if you look at the early church, really everyone's a minister. Some people do it more full-time. Some people get supported to do it completely full-time. Um, But everybody teaches about Jesus. Everybody gossips a bit of the gospel. Everybody has a job that they do. And as they do, they go about as missionaries to their workplace or to their families or to their town or to the place they're uprooted and brought to. See, everybody's a missionary. Everybody's doing ministry. Everyone's a minister in in the Christian church, in the church of Jesus. And I wonder if you could think about if this is possible for you. If not, that's okay. But if, would it be possible for you to spend a little bit more time in your week doing ministry and a little bit of less time doing paid work? Um, I wonder if that might be something for you to think about. Imagine what it would be like if we had six or seven people in church who all decided that they could work their flexi time or cut down their hours a little bit wherever they're working and get Wednesday afternoon free. And what could we do with six or seven people who are free on a Wednesday afternoon to do some ministry, to do some of um, of Jesus' work in Ammonford. I wonder if we could start up another coffee cake company, a soup kitchen, um, a ministry out on the streets, knocking on doors and sharing the good news about Jesus with people who might come and say hello. I don't know what it might be. Maybe you've got an idea, maybe a little kernel of a thought that you, that's been brewing for a while. Well, let me know. Um, let Sammy know. Come and share it. Pray about it and ask God and say, Lord, would you help me to be a bit like Paul, a bit like Priscilla and Aquila, working with my hands, earning my keep, but also giving some time to do something else, something that might be a part of building 
your spiritual tent. Okay, that's about tent making and the beginning in Corinth. A scary place, a place where you need friends. And God brings Paul and Priscilla and Aquila together. And they start encouraging and helping and working together. Monday to Friday, Saturday and Sunday as well. So verse 5, we'll pick up the story. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So Silas and Timothy, they're teammates from um, previous years' work. And they bring with them, if you read some of the other letters in the New Testament, they bring a gift, financial gift. So now Paul gets to go full time, exclusively devoting himself to preaching. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every day now, Paul is out telling people about Jesus. Paul devoted himself exclusively to that work. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. Can you see the gardener at work? Can you see plants growing? It's been hard for Apollos, sorry, for Priscilla and Aquila to be uprooted from Rome and planted here in Corinth. It was often difficult for Paul to go about preaching and teaching. He was like he was here, opposed. And eventually here, something happens where there's a big change, a direction change in Paul's ministry. He decides now he's not going to go to the synagogues anymore, at least not exclusively. He shakes out his clothes as if to say none of this um, synagogue is going to be stuck to me any longer. I'm finished with it. And I've told you all I can tell you about the Lord Jesus. If you reject him and turn your back on him, well, then that's your business. It's not on me anymore. Your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And what does he do? He literally goes next door. <laughs> literally next door. Synagogue's one building. Then next door, a guy called Titius Justice. That's a very Roman name. So he's a Gentile. Goes next door. He's a worshipper of God. Somebody who knows about God is kind of following him. Hears about Jesus has the message completed and comes to know Jesus and who follows along. Crispus, the synagogue leader, the guy who was the boss of the synagogue next door, gives up his job. It's a really costly thing. Gives up his job and follows Paul and says, I'm going to be with Jesus and his whole household as well. Everyone in his sphere of influence comes over and they're baptized. So you see, things are quite painful, but the gardener's doing fruitful work uprooting things and that can be really difficult sometimes losing jobs and that's really difficult i'm um, shaking out garments and turning your backs on people you hoped would be your friends that's a difficult thing the gardener's moving people around but it's bringing growth and glory can i read you a little bit of an old hymn this is by william cowper or cooper he says you fearful saints fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, that is, by your eyes, by what you see, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frown frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Do you see the gardener is a smiling gardener? It can be a painful thing for plants to be uprooted and pruned and moved around in the garden. But we can trust that those clouds that we dread, the clouds of suffering, the clouds of moving house, the clouds of losing your job. One day those clouds will break with blessings on your head. And that's what you can see here. The church is growing, even though it's difficult, because the gardener is 
doing good work. His hand is in it and his hand is trustworthy. But it's not just the gardener that we see. We hear the shepherd's voice too. One night, verse 9, imagine how difficult it's been for Paul in Corinth so far. Intimidating, painful. And so one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Verse 9, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united ta- attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves, and I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the new synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kencry because of a vow he'd taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and this time they asked him to spend more time with them, but he declined. And as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So do you see, Paul's carrying on the work, carrying on through some pretty difficult times, dragged before another very high up ruler, Gallio. He's the, uh, he's the boss, like the ambassador, um, the regional governor of the whole of Greece. A pretty important character. And he gets dragged before him, accused of causing trouble. Perhaps he's going to get beaten. Perhaps he's going to be put to death. Who knows what's going to happen? He's gone through a lot. And what he needs is the shepherd's voice. What you need as you face dark trials, as you face difficult accusations, as you face an uncertain future, what you need, apart from good friends, apart from a good solid church where you will grow, what you really need to to hear is the shepherd's voice. Did you hear it? Paul literally hears as a vision. At a really important time in his life and in the church's life, Jesus comes and speaks to Paul and says, do not be afraid. Crack on, keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Five things that you could reflect on. We don't have time to go into them in too much depth, do we? But I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Jesus promises to Paul his presence. Promises that in his presence, there's nothing to fear. Do you remember that famous verse in Romans? All things work for good for those who love God. All things work together for good for those who love. So is there any power? Is there anything in this world that could work against us? Could work for ill, for bad? No, not if everything is working for good. Jesus is. The hand of the gardener is working all things for good. And so we hear his voice saying, don't be afraid. There's no need to fear. I am with you. That's what he promised the disciples. Back in Matthew, up on the mountaintop. Do you remember that? I will be with you to the very end of the age. When two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Anyone who comes to me, I'll never turn away. 
Jesus says it in lots of different ways, time and time again. Do not be afraid. Trust him and I will be with you. And he needs that message because of Gallio. He's accused and dragged before this really powerful man. And Paul, after the accusations are made, you can imagine him kind of taking a deep breath, about to defend himself. And then Gallio puts up his hand and says, hold on, hold on. If you are making a complaint about some serious crime, I'm happy to listen to that. But as for all these questions about words and names and your own law, you just deal with that on your own. And what's going on here is a really significant thing. What's going on is God's promises are being fulfilled. Do you remember in what Jesus says? He promises he's with Paul. He says there's no need to be afraid. And he says, no one's going to harm you. No one's going to harm you. And Gallio doesn't harm Paul. And the crowd don't harm Paul. And so he stays on in Corinth for a long while yet. It's a really important thing, actually, what's happening. Um, Gallio, this very important Roman figure, um, not just an ambassador, but kind of regional governor, he's making a proclamation of Roman law that would actually stand for the next decade, that would protect Christians for the next decade before Nero came into power and turned things all around. Did some pretty horrible stuff. But what he's saying here is Christianity is a legal religion in Rome. The Jews come along and their accusation is basically to say Christians shouldn't be allowed to live in the Roman Empire. They shouldn't be allowed. They're a different religion from us. And Gallio says, no, they're not really. That's just a debate about words and names and your own kind of theological disputes. So please leave me alone and leave the Christians in peace. And then they end up pretty nastily beating up the Jewish synagogue leader Sosthenes instead of Paul. Um, do you see? God is working in the background. The gardener's hands at work um, because what the shepherd says, you can trust. The shepherd says you won't be harmed. Shepherd says there's no need to be afraid. Shepherd says crack on, carry on in Corinth. And Gallio, the great big important Roman leader, says yes. Just does exactly what the shepherd said he would do. So do you see who's really in charge? Do you see whose hand is really behind all of the movements of history? Do you see that in your life there's absolutely no power, no sadness, no darkness, no shadow, no sin that, that God can't use, that God can't redeem, that God can't bring back, that God can't remake, that he can't reweave into something really beautiful and really worth having, something priceless and precious and beautiful. Your sin can be forgiven and washed away. Your suffering can be healed and comforted. Your tears can be wiped away. There's really no need to fear in the future because, well, we're not in Corinth, but we're in Amonford or we're wherever you're sitting right now. We're not Paul, but we're part of the same church that is led by the same shepherd. That is, we're part of the same garden that's gardened by that same hand. We're under the lordship, under the kingship of the one who's really in control of history. So those are some lessons from Acts chapter 18. We've run out of time. So I'll leave you to go and read Apollos' story later on and see what you make of him. He's a really interesting character. You can go and read about him in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as well, what Paul says of him and how he calls God a gardener. But I'll leave that for you to study. Um, let's just remind ourselves of those lessons, that encouragement that God builds his church, that he gardens in his garden with a trustworthy hand and that he speaks with a voice. That's encouraging. That that drives away fear, that calls us to himself and that, that encourages us as we go out and work. Whether you're a tent maker, somebody who's earning your own keep and then doing God's work, 
as you have time on the weekend, in the evenings, or in those moments that you get spare, in those lunch breaks at work, or whether you're somebody who's working full-time, whatever you're doing, well, I think we can take the encouragement from verse 10 here, where God says, I have many people in this city. I wonder who it is around you, in your workplace, in your family, on your street, in your sports team, um, in the, um, the nursing home, in Coffee King Company. I wonder who it is who don't know Jesus just yet, who don't recognise the shepherd's voice just yet, but who one day you'll think, how did I live my life without them? How did they live their lives without knowing Jesus? I wonder who it is around you who really belongs to Jesus, who are his sheep, who one day when they hear his voice, perhaps from your mouth, when they hear his voice, will come and know him as their own saviour. Do not be afraid, Jesus said. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you. Not ultimately anyway. Because I have many people in this town, in this valley, in this city. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the encouragement of this passage. We thank you for the encouragement of our friends around us. Lord, of our church around us. Of the people that we love around us. Lord, we thank you for those who are around us who don't know you yet and ask that you would help us to be encouraged. Help us to see that you're the gardener who moves things around, who brings growth. Lord, would you bring fruit in our friends' lives, in our neighbours' lives? Would you speak to them, perhaps through us, that they might hear your voice and recognise it and come back to you? Lord, we pray that you would use us, whatever our work is, whether we're tent-making ministers in your kingdom, whether we're full-time paid ministers in your kingdom, or somewhere in between. Lord, whoever we are, Each one of us has that responsibility and that privilege and that joy of serving you. And so we ask that you'd help us to do it faithfully as we work in your garden, Lord. Work with us and make us fruitful for you. Lord, as we listen to you and then speak your voice to others, would you make us people who who love you more and more every day, who recognise and love to listen to your voice every day and who willingly, boldly trust you, don't fear, and then who go out and share your voice with others. Lord, be with us, we pray, and work through us for your glory. Amen.